Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. GDLS Canada, an industry leader dedicated to supporting our customers and the community. Full name is Carol Montru Morlock Patterson. Had no nickname. We didn't really have nicknames back then. I don't think that's much more popular now. But um, yeah, that's my full name. How old are you now? Your actual birth date and where were you born? Um, I'm 77. Uh, my birthday is March 20th, 1944, and I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. A lot of your life was spent up in uh, upstate New York. How, how long were you down in Baltimore for in your life? I went through school there. I went to Western Maryland College, which is in Western Maryland. It's now known as McDaniel College. When I graduated from there with a degree in health and physical education, I started teaching in Baltimore County. That's where I met my husband. He was also teaching in Baltimore County. Um, I was sent to, I think there were about 15 high schools there. And they had just started lacrosse in the high schools. And I was sent to one of the schools that had girls lacrosse because I had some background in it and uh, started coaching there. And it just so happened my husband was the men's coach there. And so that's how we met and that's how we started. The joke of it, his joke was that the reason that I got him is that I constantly asked him for advice on coaching goaltenders. I'm not so sure that's true, but anyway, that's how, that's how we met and that's where I first started teaching. He left teaching and moved back to Western New York to the Tuscarora Indian Reservation. We were married and I moved with him. So I moved to Western New York in about 19, 1970, 1971, we moved back. And then I started teaching at the local school, Lewiston Porter. Uh, there was no lacrosse in Western New York. There was extremely limited activities for women or for girls in Western New York. Considering that I had come from Maryland where my programs growing up were extensive for girls in sports, it bothered me greatly. And so I immediately started getting into starting different activities. Um, I was fortunate at Lewis and Porter that my principal was from the Naval Academy and had played lacrosse. And so when I was doing my master's degree at the University of Buffalo, my thesis was on lacrosse and skill testing. And so he provided all the funds I needed in order to get the equipment and to do the program there. So I started it there through, that, uh, through the master's program. Then uh, there was a couple people in Buffalo, a lady by the name of Taddy Dan, at Park School, one of the private schools that had played lacrosse in England. And when she found out that I was doing lacrosse, she called and said, what can we do at Park School to start it? Started it at Park. The other three private schools in Buffalo, girls' private schools in Buffalo, then wanted to get involved, and it just kept growing from there. Now, almost all the public schools in Western New York have lacrosse, Rochester, Syracuse, moving right across the state now. But it originally started, I think, right in that little pocket there in Western New York. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I moved from Western, I moved from Lewiston Porter to Niagara University and taught in the majors program there. And one of my responsibilities there was to develop um, 
the women's program as well as the men's program, but to also develop coaching and officiating. So I was involved in that and officiating. I started the Western New York Officials Association for women's lacrosse. And I had all the majors working. And of course, the, the, the level of play was very low. So I could assign majors and put them out on the field. And we were OK, because they didn't have a lot of experience, but neither did the players. So it worked out fine. But we just grew from there as far as being in Western New York. And I was there from 1970, well, 30 years. Um, and then 2000, when Wes died, I stayed on for a little bit. But then I went back to Maryland and taught for about four years. And then came back home when I retired to Western New York. And in 2011, I moved to Port Hope, Ontario, and have been there since. How did you come to lacrosse? You said you'd come to the game before you met Wes. And, and how did that, yeah, obviously Baltimore's a hotbed. Mm -hmm. So did you play when you were younger? I did, I played club. We didn't have it in school, but I played club lacrosse. And my, my the area I lived in, um, around here at Christmas, the kids will be outside with their new hockey sticks. Down there at Christmas, the kids were outside with their new lacrosse sticks. And so the kids in the neighborhood, the boys would all be playing, and I just happened to pick up a stick now and then and just played catch with them. It was more skill-wise, not game-wise. Um, just handling sticks and doing it, playing with the stick work out there. And then I started playing in Baltimore Club. And um, then when I went to college, they didn't have lacrosse for women there, but I continued playing in Baltimore Club. I see. Um at some point, you started to get involved with the fledgling programs of lacrosse here in Canada, in girls field lacrosse, which really didn't get going till like 81 or, or something like that. Maybe the Gilkinsons, I think, got some lacrosse going a few years earlier. Yes. But uh, how did that all happen? It happened as a result of uh, my husband's business. Um, we had a company on the reservation in Tuscarora Indian Reservation in New York State, and then we also had a company over here called Can-Am Lacrosse. Um, in Canada, with the business, we went to national championships, we went to provincial championships, we went to all the local provincial tournaments all around, and people got to know us across the country both because of the product that we were selling, but they also got to know us personally as far as who we were, where we were from, that type of thing. And in the early 80s, the Canadian Lacrosse Association, I can think Bill Bennett, Marshall Spence, um, some of those gentlemen, decided that they wanted to get involved in women's field lacrosse at the international level. At that time, there was the International Federation of Women's Field Lacrosse, and they knew that I was connected with it, and they knew I had a background in women's field lacrosse. And so they came to me at one of the CLA meetings and tried to convince me that I should be doing this in Canada. And I tried to convince them that number one, I'm an American, not a Canadian, and number two, uh, it would be a conflict of interest in the fact that we had business and I'm selling this product, so how can I turn around and start a program? But Ultimately, they convinced me it would not be a conflict of interest. And so 
that was the beginning of it, but it was supposed to be strictly developmental, and that's, from my perspective, that's what I was doing. Um, they, I found Jenny Kyle, okay, by accident. Um, Jenny was from Canada. Her daughter played for Paul, and Jenny had a background in lacrosse, and so I convinced her to help. And so the CLA sent us from province to province doing teaching clinics, player clinics, and coaching clinics. And so we visited every province with the exception of New Brunswick, and I don't know why we never went to New Brunswick, but we didn't, every province and ran these programs in the different provinces. Um, it was a unique experience. It was good, great for me. I got to visit Canada from coast to coast. Uh, we had some hair-raising experiences. Um, we went to one province. I'm not naming names or people or places, <laughs> but the gentleman who was supposed to make arrangements for us to be in this province and do teacher clinics forgot to tell his wife that he was having two women come and stay at his home. <laughs> so when we arrived, she was a little surprised and not very happy about the situation. <laughs> but we did run into a few little things like that. But other than that, we had a really good, and we made contacts in every province. And at the end of that period of time, that was about two years, uh, was when I took the first team on tour to the United States from Canada. And that would have been in probably the end of 82, no, it would have been in 83. And on that team, it was specifically designed that we have members from every province across the country. And so we had representation from everywhere except New Brunswick. And the idea on the tour was to take these players down to the United States, play in exhibition games, and motivate and excite them about the prospects that were there so that when they came back to their provinces, they would be willing to do something in their province. And we made this clear from the very beginning. And at the be after that, in every province, we had small pockets started. Um, as time went by, we lost some, but we did, I mean, Ontario and British Columbia had already been started, but we had really good groups in Alberta for a while, uh, strong groups in Winnipeg. Um, we had even had some good, good groups in um, Newfoundland and in Halifax. So. Uh, uh, and uh, how the 82 team for Canada is looked at as a very important step in it was. getting the, the game to go up here. How were you involved with 82 or, you know, were, was, like how did things... Uh, I was not involved directly with the 82 team. We were there. We were in Nottingham, England, so I did see them play. Um, but Paul, Paul Gilkinson and Dave Evans from British Columbia yeah. were the two coaches, and they brought in Courtney Schellenberger from Philadelphia as the... Courtney wouldn't like this, but as the token woman, uh, <laughs> because at that time in women's field lacrosse, there would not have been a man on the sideline coaching. Right. And so Paul and Dave knew the players. They were all from Ontario and British Columbia. They knew their players and they were doing the coaching, but Courtney came in as the official head coach of uh, the team for 82. And strong personality, strong coach, 
and she did a really good job with them over yeah. there. She really did. Yeah, they were ranked six going into the tournament, and they and came actually in, came away with came in, came in third. Yes, yeah, which is amazing. Yes, and they played exceptionally well. And if you could have seen the expression on the the coaches and players on the sideline while they were playing, it was it was fantastic. So. <laughs> You've had a lot of adventures through this game and your, your marriage to Wes and you know, just an amazing uh, experience, uh, you know, married to a stick maker. Yes, and, uh, I was. And you actually were part of the Iroquois national team board at, at one point or, or <laughs> how, did, how did that all come together? Yeah. There were four general, well, Wes was the one that initiated this in Nations 80 was out in British Columbia and um, they asked about a native team. There was a, I can't remember the gentleman's name that was head of the BCLA at that time, but they asked Wes if he could do something as far as coming up with a native team to participate in Nations 80. And so he got together with Rick Hill, who was from Tuscarora, Oren Lyons, who was from Onondaga. Those three men sat down and put together the format of how to get representation from the Iroquois as well as the North Shore Indians because yes. they didn't want to go out there and play without representation from out there because they also played lacrosse. Yeah. And at that time, <laughs> this is Oren, at that time they needed someone to handle the money. And the safest person was Carol. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't want it to disappear, and they wanted it to be used efficiently. And I was the treasurer of the Iroquois Nationals for approximately 17 years. And um, that was an amazing learning experience because Oren Line's connections throughout the world are unbelievable. And the amount of money that he could raise with one phone call was unbelievable. And the people he knew were unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a, a unique experience. It was not easy handling representations from all the different groups of Iroquois and all the different groups of natives across the, the yeah. country. Um, a lot of them needed more organization and structure than what they were used to. Um, and some of them, on different occasions, I would not acknowledge that I knew that. <laughs> but, but as time has grown, gone on, they have done exceptionally well as a, an organization. And they also have the Iroquois women's lacrosse now as well, which has been participating. They started out participation, participating in the um, Canadian National Championships when we were looking for more teams to come in because we didn't have a lot of Canadian teams. So they have played quite a few times also. I've talked to uh, members of that, that native team in the 1980 uh, box, World Box Championship. Nations 80? Nations 80. Yes. And they have told me that it really did act as a catalyst to forming the, the Iroquois, Iroquois National Nationals. Program. Like mm -hmm. that was, the seeds of that were planted in that uh, being involved right. and they did so well yeah. in that tournament. You know? Very much so. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, they, they mentioned that to me. Um, with, with, uh, with, with the uh, Iroquois Nationals, obviously culturally, spiritually, the game had always been in the men's realm. 
in, in the way things were looked at. But then uh, around Western New York, uh, women started to play the game a, a bit. And what was that like, you know, understanding the belief system uh, of the Haudenosaunee and now we're moving into a new world and women were playing everything and uh, the plastic stick came along with, for the women's game versus the wooden stick and that gave opportunity to say it was a sport not a medicine game you know things like what was that all like uh, you being you know really in two worlds you know one foot in one and one foot in another very much so and uh, the nucleus of the women's team started on Tuscarora be a reservation because Wes and I started it there um, and then we drew from the other reservations as well um, Denise Waterman and Onondaga helped a lot but we had some clan mothers who were very vehemently against it because of not only the spiritual with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Game, but the fact that it was not healthy for a girl to be playing sports. Right. Okay. Um, I taught health for a number of years, so I <laughs> would come across with quite a bit of information for them to try and convince them that it would not have negative effects on reproduction yes. and in some ways it would increase reproduction so um, but they're still not happy with the fact that the women are participating in any sport much less the sport of lacrosse um, the the only thing that they constantly well the health is one factor the other factor is that we need to needed to convince them that this was a social activity and not a spiritual activity yes. and that was what they were playing they were not playing the spiritual game and the men technically are not playing the medicine game except when they're requested to do it which is totally different than the the regular sport that they're playing. Yes, yeah, yeah. And w was there a lady uh, from around Tuscarora who started, at, maybe it was at the Nichols School, Sandy? Uh, Sandy Jemerson. Yes. She's from Cataragas. Cataragas, yes. Mm -hmm. I remember yes. talking to her at some point, and, yeah. and she was one of the early ones. She was an early player. She played for us. Oh, she did? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then she progressed on. She was coaching, and then her daughter was an outstanding player, and then Sandy was coaching at one of the state universities down there for a while. So she's been involved for a long time. Really? Okay. All right. And you've received, uh, you, you actually worked with uh, U.S. Lacrosse uh, yeah. on a project. What, what was that project uh, like? Um, well, there were a couple of different ones. Um, uh, United States Lacrosse Association, which no longer exists because they have merged with uh, US, U.S. Lacrosse, and I think that's the incorrect name, too. I think they've 
change their nomenclature there. But um, uh, we did a coaching certification program that started, this would have been way back in the, it must have been in the 80s, and Sue Lubking uh, was the person that was running it, and there were two people that took that coaching association test or program that summer, and it was Beth Stone and my, from Nichols School in Buffalo and myself, and we were the only two that took it. We passed it. <laughs> and we were the only two certified coaches in the United States for about five years. <laughs> now they have an extended coaching certification program and it has been developed. And then I also um, uh, worked with a summer group where we put together a curriculum for lacrosse to be taught at all levels. And for um, in high school as well as going down into middle school. And I, that was a summer program that we worked on. Oh, okay, and uh, I'm looking through uh, the information. One of your former players uh, sent me a few questions. She, she asked, how, how did you meet Jenny Kyle? I met Jenny Kyle through Paul. Paul had um, a player on, Paul Gilkinson, Paul uh, had a player on his team whose mother was from England, and I called her one day and said, did you play lacrosse in England? And Jenny said, yes, she had. She had played at private school over there. So we got together, and um, from then on, we worked together a number of years. And she was a very, very dear friend until she passed away just this past year. But. Uh, uh, we had a lot of fun together. We coached together. She was the manager. She could not handle money, uh, <laughs> but she could organize things. And she was an asset to the program because, and I, you might edit this part out, her husband was um, an Air Canada pilot, so we could get really good prices. She could fly for free, and she could take me along. As a, They don't do that anymore, I don't think. But at the time, it helped a lot as far as being able to move back and forth across the country. Okay, and uh, what, what would you consider as a key milestone or key milestones in the development of the game here in Canada? Oh, golly, I think the, the junior programs and the youth programs, I think, are just fantastic milestones that have happened as we've moved through. Um, we've had the Canadian Senior Championships have always existed. The junior championships for a while uh, faded out because they, they were, had mainly senior players in the provinces. And as those senior players got older and realized that they couldn't play forever, then they started to work with the younger girls and started to encourage them both in schools and out of schools to continue in their lacrosse development. The, one of the top people in Ontario that has done this is Barb Boys. She has run a fantastic youth program for a number of years now. And um, Ontario had some great leaders. British Columbia had some great leaders. Um, and as a result, that filtering down of the programs has been really good. Uh, and. Uh says you were connected with the lacrosse community in the states and brought several into the canadian programs and one of the ones li listed here was uh, jackie pitts oh i used to always recruit 
friends from down the states come up and visit us and then bring them across the border <laughs> so they would come up for a week on the reservation and then we would stop over in different places in Canada Jackie Pitts came up and would do coaching clinics and teaching clinics um, I got several of the college coaches to come because the schools were closed during the summer to come up and spend the summer in Calgary working with the girls out there they didn't get paid, but room and board was provided. And by having these U.S. coaches come in and spend time, uh, it made a big difference. Um, I was just, I pulled a picture before I came of Roseanne Neff. I have no idea where she is now, but she was at Lock, Lock Haven College, and she helped me in Quebec. Um, I did a lot in Quebec first. They were much more open Pierre was much more open to me coming down and doing things than some of the other provinces were. And he was also very gung-ho at getting Quebec started in Girls Lacrosse. And um, she went down there. Neither one of us spoke French, which was interesting, but you can coach and teach without speaking the language. They knew when I liked what they did, and they knew what I didn't, <laughs> didn't like. But um, uh, a lot of the coaches would come up. And just having them there was motivation for the new players that were coming in because they could see that all these coaches were in the country and were interested in helping them develop. And then from there on, I mean, at national championships, we always had U.S. coaches up recruiting. And that led to a lot more. You, you, I believe you interviewed uh, Gail Cummings. What's her married name? Yeah, uh, Dawson? Dancing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> coming up to recruit for from the US players or from the Canadian players and there would always be at least I can remember one time in Calgary there were at least six US coaches that were there on the sidelines and for that yeah. for Canada that was fantastic this yeah. would have been in the 80s yeah yeah, yeah they said describe your experiences and your role as manager with the 86 Canadian team uh, that was in, we were in Philadelphia. We were in your sinus college. Um, Libby Williams was the head coach. Libby was an interesting lady, and she was a very demanding person. Jenny and I were the the two gophers for for that team, and um, it it was a really good experience. I en I enjoyed that a lot, and I look at myself more as a a teacher and a developer than I do as a coach. Um, yeah. I've coached everything all, all along the way, but still I think my philosophy more, is more in development and in learning and growing and that part of the sport than in just the idea of coaching. And so having Libby as head coach allowed us to do a lot more with the players because when you had a team that didn't get together that often because of distance, you had to do a lot as far as building uh, relationships between the different players and I would say that Jenny and I spent a lot of time trying to make sure those relationships grew and that our team came together as a unit when they were playing and, and uh, I didn't know the results of 86 but it would have been a tough act to follow 82 because uh, they're waiting for you now and know that you're coming right right, <laughs> right. And so, was that the case or yes <laughs> <laughs> But we had some we had some really good players, and um, one young lady just 
was a was an outstanding new girl um, from Quebec that just did a fantastic job and was recognized by the press and everything. Louise Saint Louis uh, Saint Louis, I can't remember her first name. Sorry, yeah. and. Um, she, she walked in as a newcomer and just was fantastic. But they all worked hard and did a really good job. Uh, um, you went across country with Wes to, to, uh, as part of Can-Am, uh, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And, that, and the, the question that they had here is, uh, you, made, you and Wes made a point of being involved in major events in Canada national championships, national teams, why? Well, I can honestly say it wasn't for money. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, our business was solvent and, you know, we, we existed for the business he set up, existed for 30 years. We always made money. We always employed people on the reservation. I would say that both of us felt exactly the same about lacrosse. It was the number one thing in our heart. We really enjoyed the game. We really loved what it did for the people that played the game. Um, we, th we just all thought it was very, very special to be with those that were playing. So it definitely was for the love of the game and the love of the player and not for the money because my nephew once said to his uncle, if you didn't have Carol, you'd give everything away. <laughs> which, which to a certain extent he would because there was never anybody that walked into the shop. If they needed something, they left with it. It didn't matter whether they had the money to pay for it or not. They wow. had it. Wow, wow. Well, the old joke is, how do you make a million dollars in lacrosse? <laughs> and the answer is you start with two million. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> That's very true. Because <laughs> it's a love that every, you know, now it's changing a bit. Like yeah, it is. It, you know, yes. there's yeah. a different world coming. Oh, and, very uh, much so. Yeah, so, wow. but uh, during the time you were involved and, you know, in, it was a time when people gave a lot more than they received in terms of material or, but right. the, the love of the game, how do you quantify that? Right. right. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. And the one thing I didn't say is that both Jenny and I were on the uh, Canadian Lacrosse Association Board of Directors. We were vice presidents, which was unheard of. They had never had a vice president. That was a woman. So at that time, Abby was the head of um, sports in Canada. And she was really ecstatic when we got onto the board. She thought all of this would change. But it was a, it was a tough time for the CLA during certain areas there. And yes. um, it worked out well. So. Yeah, 1990s, I think, uh, was a rough time, the late 80s. And then I think Bill Hutton came on board at some point. Right. Bill really did a lot to uh, change the fortunes of the, exactly. of the organization yep. to a positive. Very much yeah. so. So, and the CLA, I think, has done it. They were very, I think, they were very good to the women's program. Uh, we didn't get a lot of money, but we did get support. And, but I don't think very few people got a lot of money because I don't think it was there to get. And that was one thing that I, th I feel that was difficult for starting the teams 
because they had to raise the money in order to travel to all these things. And I had one player on tour one time that was from Alberta. She sold her horse in order to go on tour. And I'm thinking, you know, wow. I know the dedication that was there is was phenomenal and wow. you know they all worked really hard in order to put the money in in order to go on tour to England we took we went to England we went to Scotland we went to Wales I took a group from Quebec to uh, Paris one time and we did exhibition games over there Scotland came and joined us to do exhibition games there so there was a lot of work that the girls actually did themselves in order to play so drawing near the end of our interview, but uh, what would you say to younger people right now about why they should get involved with uh, this game? Like, well, <clears throat> number one, it's a, it's a fantastic game as far as physical ability. And if you look at the players today versus when I played, if you look at the players today, they're much more intense, much more and this is true for all athletes, uh, much more physically developed, much more aggressive. I'm not sure I like that sometimes. Um, but they are uh, uh, developing into superior athletes. And I think this is an excellent thing for anyone to do as far as the physical abilities that they can develop themselves. Um, I think the opportunities that exist for women and men uh, in lacrosse is growing weekly with the number of schools that are picking up the sport. I think through education, being able to have an education provided for them because of their ability in the sport is fantastic. Uh, internationally, it's growing. Quite a few uh, players that I know are now working in England or working in Australia for the sports councils in these countries to help promote lacrosse and work in lacrosse. And so it's also providing job opportunities for when they're finished school and ready to go out into the real world and work for a living. There's just m multiple avenues that are opening up for everyone in sport. Yeah. Well, Carol, I just uh, appreciate you coming and being involved today and telling your story so that we'll have it down for, for people generations from now to understand the time uh, that you were involved with it now. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm sorry I gave you such a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.